listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hi, this is Ted Johnson. And before we start today's podcast, I'd like to give a quick shout out to a couple of our supporters. George Shower, who is the Pocono Outdoors guy, has been a friend and advocate of the Fish on Ted podcast and our sister company, Marketing for Guides, for a couple of years now. George broadcasts his own podcast live every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Facebook Live. He then posts his episode on his YouTube channel, of course, called The Pocono Outdoors Guy. Along with being a podcast host, George is also a well-known outdoor writer and outdoor videographer. To find out more about George's services, go to his website at www.poconooutdoorsguy.com. I'd also like to recognize Short Bus Flashers, who is based in Oregon. JT Gillette started Short Bus Flashers just over 10 years ago, and it has become the premier manufacturer of salmon fishing flashers on the West Coast. If you like catching salmon, you need to visit www.shortbusflashers.com and take a look at all the flashers and the hundreds of shapes and color combinations that are available. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining in today. If uh, you're looking at your calendar or maybe the calendar on this particular episode, this is being recorded in December of 2020. Yes, we're in still the little COVID crisis that we've got, but just in the last couple of days, um, the vaccines have been introduced and it sounds like... uh, they're starting to roll out, and God willing, and the crypt don't rise, we're going to be through this thing in the next uh, coming month, and things will get back to relatively normal. But uh, obviously, today we're talking about fishing, and we're looking forward to our guest. Um, he comes to us from the great state of Alaska, but he's also a TV celebrity, as he's done some work on the Discovery Channel and the National Geographic Channel and you might recognize his name, but um, without further ado, Jason Lesmeister, are you there? I am. How you doing, Ted? Well, better than I deserve. How about you, man? I'm doing fabulous. Well, my favorite time of year. Yes, absolutely. Now, are you in Alaska uh, for this conversation? Nope, I'm actually on vacation. I just did the holidays um, with my in-laws. Uh-huh. And I'm getting ready to go to Iowa to do some deer hunting, and then we'll go to Florida and do some fishing. Wow, wow. Sounds like you're going to start off the uh, new year 2021 in uh, grand fashion, man. That's the plan. I hope it all works out. Well, good for you. Good for you. Well, hey, just a a quick uh, question as uh, sort of kicked this off, Jason. Tell us a little about how in the world you got this outdoor bug. Was this something that uh, um, you that came upon you when you were a, a young man, or a little later in life? I think I was just born into it. I don't remember a minute of my life where I didn't want to just fish and hunt yeah. pretty much all the time. I have a uh, I only have one brother, but I have a whole lot of aunts and uncles, and um, we ended up basically just hunting and fishing all the time when i was a kid that's all i had ever asked my uncles to do is take me fishing or hunting and yeah. they did and i was lucky because my dad 
was a great outdoorsman, loves fishing more than hunting, but loves them both. And my grandpa was a huge hunter and he loved hunting a little more than fishing. So I had a, a couple of great tutors for, you know, and as well as a, well, I had a, a lot of tutors, a lot of, a lot of help, a lot of people that always ensured that I got to do it all the time. So oh, cool. what part, what part of the world did you grow up in? I grew up in Minnesota and okay. I, I lived in Minnesota until I was 21. And then when I was 21, I moved to Alaska and I never left. Really? So in Minnesota, yeah. you did uh, a, a, a lot of lake fishing and deer hunting, and you've got a lot of waterfowl up there too, don't you? Yeah, no, I grew up. I grew up fishing nonstop and, and hunting anything that I could hunt. Every period. I mean, I started off squirrel hunting. That's yeah, you know, small game, squirrel and birds, and then you kind of graduate into the big game, the deer. Did a lot of a lot of uh, waterfowl, a lot of upland. I still do it all the time, and uh-huh. uh, it's not like it used to be. The habitat's not the same, but um, my drive still hasn't changed. I still love it. Yeah, absolutely. The, the waterfowl uh, and wing shooting is one of my passions, and just uh, anytime I can get out and do that, I take advantage of it. There's just something about sitting in a blind and watching the dogs work and and uh, calling in ducks, and I mean it's it's just a concert of activity when 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 the when the uh, the game is you know when the birds are flying and that sort of thing, and it's hard to explain to people you know just. Uh, how amazing an experience that is when you time it right when you're waterfall hunting and my favorite place to waterfall hunt is uh, north dakota mm-hmm. when you time it right it's like being on a national geographic show it's like watching you know it's like being in the serengeti or something it's just it's like yep. being a part of a, a natural phenomena and and anytime you can call an animal to you to me in, in my world anytime you can call an animal to you it's it makes it more fun, a little more special, a little more intimate. Yes, and so I love it. Yes, it is. So at the ripe old age of 21, you headed up to Alaska then? Is... Yep. I got a job working for George Palmer at Mystic Lake Lodge, making $25 a day room and board. And the room was a tent. If you're <laughs> lucky, it didn't leak. And your your food was horrible. I mean, very bad food and very little of it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it was. he was... I didn't know it at the time. He's probably one of the worst pilot guides in the state as well. Had I known what I know now, I never would have gotten in an airplane with him. Oh, really? But that being said, oh, yeah, we had a few near-death experiences that I didn't even know were near-death. Oh, really? Uh, but, oh, yeah. So knowing what I know now, I'd never get to play with him, but he was a great guy, and he had yeah. a lot of great guides that taught me a lot of stuff. So I, uh-huh. I feel very blessed to have had that opportunity. Yeah. So... But, what part of Alaska were you in when you first got there? I was right in the like the, the heart of Alaska. We had Denali and Four Acres. We're just north of them. And so you get a look at Denali every day that there weren't clouds. It's pretty awesome. Really? Yeah. No kidding. And you were hunting and fishing or just primarily fishing when that you was went? that was hunting and then that was I started up hunting and then the next year I did the fishing and the hunting I got a uh, job in southeast Alaska fishing as a dock boy yeah and you know that that one I was the guy was kind of a crackpot outlaw so that didn't last long but um I kept doing the fishing and the hunting both and so I did that for just basically in Alaska when you go to work for a hunting outfit you pack for a couple years 
Right. And then you get your assistant guides license your third year, and you're you're essentially a packer that has a guides license for another year or two, and then you roll into guiding. I was lucky enough, uh, extremely ambitious, and lucky to have guys teach me well. So my third year up there, I, I ended up with my assistant guides license and just thrown in, you know, it was baptism by fire. I was, boom, just guiding instantly, you know. Really? Oh, no. And, uh, and, oh, and I, you know, I wasn't ready. I just – wasn't ready for it but they threw me into it and I, I grew into the job so to speak yeah. I had a, I had a whole lot more ambition than I did knowledge or good gear <laughs> right but it all ended up working out 27 years later I feel like uh, I'm still doing it so I'm a little better than I was <laughs> oh that's cool so what, what, were you, what were you guiding for those first few years well everything sheep caribou grizzly bear moose you primarily you know then uh you know the fishing start off in southeast and ended up in western alaska yeah. doing the king salmon and the silver salmon and for the most part i was a uh, salmon guide for probably my first six eight years up there and then i kind of got into the the trout fishing and the fly out stuff uh-huh. and once you start catching big rainbow trout especially after you've caught tens of thousands of salmon, it's like crack. It's addicting. You know, you get out the fly. No, I used to, I grew up never fly fishing. I used to make fun of fly fishermen. Uh-huh. And now I just love fly fishing. It's about, you know, on open water, I prefer to do that over conventional gear when I'm on rivers anyway, most of the time. Right. I'm still a purist in the fact that I will fish anything, anywhere, anytime. I love it. Whatever is biting. Uh, when I'm working, yeah. oh yeah, when I'm working, it's most biggest, fastest, whatever technique you know, is going to do that as long as people don't care what they're using. But uh, if they have a preference, then we use that. So, right. but I love that. I love the big rainbows and the, and the char and I love the fly fishing. Mm -hmm. There's just something about being on a river and uh, with, you know, with a fly pole or a spin casting rod and casting out and, you know, playing the current and uh, just waiting for those strikes, man. And in your part of the world, the strikes come fast and furious at times, don't they? Oh yeah, when you time it right, it's incredible. It's it's, it's almost too easy, you know. And I, I run a drift boat. I I ran a motor boat, and I ran all, I run and conventional gear forever. Now I run a drift boat and fly gear. I just kind of slow it down because it's a little more intimate. It's a lot more fun. It's uh, it's it's a great game, and it, it keeps you in shape too. It keeps you strong, and you know. It keeps, Keeps your back thick. Yeah, that boat. yeah, it does. I, I grew up on a drift boat on the McKenzie River in Oregon, and there, uh, wow. you know, that's a that's a wonderful experience of being on the river, floating it, and uh, you know, maneuvering the boat in such a way that uh, you know you can make the next cast productive. And uh, when that trout comes up, it is, uh, you know, it is a real treat. But I spent. Oh, yeah. Oh, I spent like three weeks up the Nushagak, up on a river called the Chit River. Are you familiar with where that is? Oh, I fished the Nushagak for quite a few years. That's for yeah. sure. That was one of my favorite river to fish King Salmon on, hands down, in the state of Alaska. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were, I think we were like 70 miles above Portage Creek. So we were way up there. And the Nushagak, when we were there, was blown out. And we were up there for rainbow trout. And so we went and started uh, fishing this little tributary called the Chit. And holy smokes, that was amazing, man. And, and uh, 
I'm, I'm sure it's uh, just exactly like the fishing that you experience all the time on the Kenai in that area for rainbow trout. I mean, the trout are huge and they're aggressive and it's just literally one after another. It's all photo ops. You know, you're returning all of the fish to the water as you should with things like that. Um, but man, you talk about getting hooked on, a, on, on fish. That was so much fun that time. No, it's incredible. Western Alaska has so much to offer, and there's so many places you can fly to where you don't have to see people. You know, yes. it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Now you call what is a Cooper Landing home? Is that right? Yeah, Cooper Landing. It's a hundred miles south of Anchorage. It's the, uh -huh. it's well, it's the headwaters of the Kenai. Really, the Kenai kind of starts. The Kenai Lake starts kind of by Seward. Right. Big, long, skinny lake. And then at Cooper Landing, it, it funnels down and, and the Kenai River starts. Uh -huh. And I'm right there. And that's, I do a lot of my fishing on that upper Kenai. Yeah. You break the Kenai down into Upper River, Middle River, which is down by Sterling, which is another 35 miles, um, would be south or, or west. Right. And then in Soldatna, once you get down to the Soldatna Bridge, they consider everything below that the lower river. Got it. So I fished, I fished the middle river and the upper river, and I primarily fish the upper river these days because I have a, a upper river refuge permit. It's a competitive use permit. I'm one of 19 people that have that permit. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty special thing and a little special piece of water. Yeah. And and you take a drift boat down that? Is that the, the way you fish that? Yep. I have a, a Willy drift boat. I love my Willy boat, aluminum drift boat. It's a big boy. It's a, a 19 footer. Wow. Um, and it's, it's, it's awesome. It is. So, and I designed my boats to look like a bass boat. I grew up in the Midwest, so I have a level diamond plate casting deck and I move chairs around or take them out, you know, and, uh, and I have a humongous quiver of rods. So I always have a, a big quiver of rods in there and I just can keep handing people rods. Oh, just yeah. like when you're bass fishing or, you know, when you're fishing in the Midwest, you're out there and you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're bass boats that have the level, you know, the, the decks and, Usually you have six to ten rods set up with different yep. stuff. So I incorporate that same scenario when I'm fishing on the Kenai. I just have a whole lot of rods, so I, you know we can fish all the different applications we need to to catch fish. Right. So right. It's wow. Fun. That's pretty, that's it's nice. To, I, I love to bring the Midwest to Alaska when when it comes to fishing, mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot of anglers, no matter where you're at or what species you target, are one-dimensional fishermen where they do one or two things really good, and that's all. Right. Where my dad beat it into my brain at a young age that a a great fisherman or a great guide should master all the disciplines and learn how to do them all well so that you're never in a position where you're fishing a memory or only good at one thing. So you're only good, you know, you're really good 20% of the time. Mm -hmm. I'd really be really good a hundred percent of the time and then you know let mother nature take its course some days you get beat up some days you don't <laughs> you know so wow that's a great um, wisdom man it's fun yeah well, yeah you control the controllables that's yeah. uh that's a good you know a guide thing and so I I personally what I do is I just get the best of everything yeah because I've been on so many guided trips where they, you get these Walmart special combo you know and it's like why would I want to go with a guide and get junk to use? It's like, so my deal is I buy all Loomis because they're the most 
application specific rod manufacturer there is mm-hmm. and uh, so I use Loomis rods I use Shimano reels I use Lampson reels depending on if I'm spin fishing or fly fishing right and my, my theory is you use the best of everything because even if you have a bad day at least you can say I got to fish some good gear that I don't normally get to fish you know that's true yeah. I fish so many days you don't you don't catch a lot of fish every single day you fish no matter who you are you know mm-hmm. you have the highs and the lows here you when you're doing a fair chase You don't get to have great days every day. Like Al Linder, Ron Linder just passed away a couple of days ago. For you know, but Ron Linder or Al Linder, who to me was one of the best fishermen ever, still is, said something that is so true. He said nothing is a hundred percent ever when you're fishing, true. and uh, it, it it's so true. Nothing's a hundred percent ever when you're fishing, and and that includes catching fish all the time. Like I have bad days just like everybody else, and sometimes it's because. You know, I might not be out of my game, which usually isn't the case. Other times it's just, you know, the conditions aren't right. The river's flooded or the temperature's dropped. We're on a glacier river. When you're fishing glacier rivers, you have so many different spikes in water flow and water temperatures throughout the day, and they all make a difference in how the fish bite and how you have to present things to the fish to get them to bite, you know. And and so you just have to be prepared to take your lumps and have fun when you're out there doing it, you know. And, and uh and if you do everything right and you have all the good gear and you know how to use it, then more often than not, you have good days, you know, over bad days. That's, that's true. That That's true. And, and a lot of people will come to Alaska, at least that I found and expect to have, you know, great fishing every single day. And it's just not the case. I mean, it's like fishing anywhere else. It, it's uh, controlled by the environment and the weather. And there's always a little bit of luck involved, but um, you know, for the most part, if, you, like you were saying, if you can control the controllables, then you'll have a better day fishing in Alaska than you will in many other places in the world, uh, just because of all of the different fish in the rivers and the different opportunities and where to fish and that sort of thing. It's a, it, it's a, it's a Disneyland for the sportsman, is it not? Oh, absolutely. It's, and the funny, you know, I get, I get, I'm blessed in the fact that I get people that have never fished our families that bring kids and I get to fish them. And then, you know, later on in the year when the, the trout is, turns into this world, the trout fishing becomes world-class when these salmon start to lay their eggs, the trout go bananas. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, you, you get your, what I call them world-class fishermen. They're the guys that fish or the people that fish all the time, all over the place, you know, all over the world, all over the United States. And that's when they show up. Yep. And, and cause it is, because they know that's the time to be there. And even a bad day then, there has to be a lot of variables to make it bad. It just isn't bad. There's no, you know, there's no such thing as a bad day yep. for a few weeks a year, on, you know. And then, the, and then it kind of, you know, fluctuates a little bit. But if you time it right, you, it's almost too easy. And, you know, so right. if you time it wrong, then you really got to work hard and do everything right to get your yep. fish. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that's part of it, you know, fair chase, natural resource. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, the the reason that you and I sort of connected here a few weeks back was I was looking to bring somebody on the show that had an extensive background in ice fishing. And uh, one thing led to another in how you and I got connected. But you've got quite a history of spending quite a bit of time on real thick ice pulling fish from it, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I... You know, when you don't have a boat, when you're a kid, when you don't have a boat, if you start off riding your bicycle to the beaches and the dams and 
anywhere that you know you can fish and not get kicked off a dock. Yeah. But then when that lake freezes over, you can go anywhere and do anything. You, you know, it. when I started out ice fishing, yeah, you you didn't have what you have today. You know, mm-hmm. today anybody can be a good ice fisherman if you can afford to buy a few simple tools. And uh, back in the day, you didn't have any of this stuff, and you just had to go out and take your lumps and figure things out. Like, how did you know a crappie was suspended? Mm-hmm. Well, you had to figure you had to bring your rod line up and down until you, you know. And then, how do you, how do you know there was a hump out? in the middle of a bay or you know like lake minnetonka is where i grew up in minnesota yeah how, how do you find a hump out by big island uh-huh accidentally you know you, right. these things that now you, you buy your navionics so you download it on your phone or you get the the you know in reach maps whatever you want and mm-hmm. anybody can find the spot i always say there's spots on the lake and then there's the spot on the spot with these modern day electronics all that site you can find the spot on the spot really easy Right. And then I'm a humongous fan of underwater cameras. Back in the day, we didn't have underwater cameras. We didn't have Vexlars. We were using old flashers. Right. And now you got the Hummingbird and the Vexlar, two phenomenal units to use to, to mark fish, depth and mark fish. Yeah. And then you drop your camera down, you figure out what they are. And then you can see how are they responding to what I'm presenting to them. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like, I will never, ever ice fish without my AquaView, hands down, the AquaView is the best underwater camera made. You get an under, you get an AquaView and then pick your poison. You get a hummingbird or a Vexlar, Vexlar or hummingbird, either one. Right. And it, when, if you have those two tools and you have a Navi, you know, that the lake maps, the Navionics chip, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that you can give you the contour of the lake, the depth. If you have those three things, you're going to catch fish nowadays if you if you learn how to use them you know right. it's it's uh it's amazing it's so fun now to fish like i couldn't even imagine going out and fishing without a camera or the good electronics to mark fish for me in the depth so for someone starting out ice fishing um what what's the initial expense that they're going to have for all this the these electronics and stuff jason well, that's the, you know, that's the kicker. It, uh, um, you know, you can go the route where I still say the best ice fisherman I know other than my dad is probably my brother. I mean, because he fishes all the time and he's got a, a wheelhouse, an ice castle wheelhouse. He's got two flat screens TVs in his ice house that he hooks up underwater cameras to. So we're watching it on the big screen yeah. as well as he loves, he likes the hummingbird. He's got his hummingbird electronics. He uses expensive ice rods that have spring bobbers on them. That's like a little spring that goes out to your rod tip. Mm-hmm. So you can feel a fish when it's sniffing and licking, you know. And so he, he invested a ton of money into this, right, where you can go out and buy an inexpensive Vexlar for a few hundred bucks. You can buy a used FL8, and that's all you need for – you probably find one on, you know, a used one for 100 150 bucks. I bet. Mm-hmm. New, it's going to be 300 to 800 depending on what you want. Now, right. when you go to the underwater camera, now Aquaview's got their big ones. I believe are all HD now. They're all high def, yeah. which is incredible. You can get a color, not color. And then they have these mini ones. My favorite is the mini because I'm very aggressive and, and moving until I find active fish. Uh-huh. So I, I use the mini, and I can even record it. And they're not too expensive. They're, once again, it's a few hundred bucks. Right. So, I mean, you can – and you don't have to have any of this. If I had to – you know, the first thing I would get <clears> – <throat> 
I don't, I don't know. It'd be it's such a flip of the coin. Do I get the map chips where I can go out and know exactly where to be, or do I have the camera? As long as you're in the daytime, as long as I have that camera, then I can actually physically see mm-hmm. what I'm fishing. The bottom is there a rock pile? Is it, is it good vegetation that's green, not brown stuff laying on the bottom? Right. Things like that. So I would probably, I'd probably go with the camera first. I'd, I'd go with the Aquaview first. You can get into one of those for a few hundred bucks. And the beautiful thing about ice fishing rods you don't have to get too fancy at all. You know, there's a lot of ice rods out there that are expensive. I don't own expensive ice rods because you're, you're out there when it's really cold. You're putting them in buckets. You're, you're running them on sleds. I'm using a snow machine to pull them out there when I'm guiding. You know, a lot of times I drag stuff out with the snow machine. And so they, they, get, they get more abused than your, your open water rods. So I, I like, my, my rule of thumb is anytime you're ice fishing, Anything that's made by clam is pretty good. When I buy rods, I basically just see what what is Dave Gins using. Uh-huh. Dave Gins is like the god the godfather of ice fishing. The guy's a living legend. Really? If he's using something to catch fish, that's what I want to use because he's he's the man amongst men when it comes to ice. Interesting. Hands down. Uh huh. There's a lot of young guys out there that are are darn good, but day in and day out, I'm taking old age and wisdom seven days a week over young and aggressive and. Yeah. Uh, so I I like to use the stuff by Clam because basically that's who um, Dave does stuff with. So Gins is the Clam guy, so I use all the Clam Corp stuff because he uh-huh. that's what he uses. And in my mind, he's the man amongst men. You know, right. if you right. want to know about something ice fishing, you just look up what he's doing, and you're gonna figure it out. Right. You know. It, and it so sounds, yeah, it, it sounds like you're pretty mobile when you're ice fishing. I mean, you're. You're you're going uh, uh, you're you're putting a lot of holes in 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 the ice and looking for the place where the fish are or where the fish could be and then uh, watching for the active fish. Am, am I right? Absolutely. When I go out, I I like to be aggressive. So I I go out in the daytime. I'm using my camera. I figure out where I want to go. I try to pick the spot on the spot. I drill a hole or two. I get the cameras down, and then I expand upon that. Like my dad and I go nuts with that. We use the strike master augers and just go crazy. We drill holes everywhere. Then we run around cameras and, and our, our electronics and, uh, and then figure out where the fish are and what's aggressive. And then there's times too, there's two kinds of ice fishermen. Then you got the other guys. And I like doing this too, that have the lazy boy on the ice or they, you know, some guys sit in their pickup truck and look at their tip ups. Right. And they're chilling. They're, they're eating frozen pizza Mm-hmm. They go to the spot that they know if they fish here, you know, 20 days, 10 of them are going to be pretty good. Two of them are going to be really good. Some are going to be, you know, and they just kind of sit and wait fish out. I'm not that patient. I go find them, uh-huh. you know, and uh, either one's fun. I mean, it's really fun to go out and put up a bunch of tip ups and uh, have a couple cold beverages and, and, and chill out on the ice. And it's also fun to drill a hundred holes and, and be sweating and, and running from hole to hole with your electronics and your cameras and figuring out, what's going on but and that's my style right so are you now are you ice fishing in alaska or uh no absolutely okay i I bring yeah it's when i moved to alaska i was the only guy i knew that had a a clam portable ice out i had a fish trap yeah and i was the only guy i knew that had a vexlar and i was the only guy i knew that had an underwater camera now I had, well, I didn't have my camera until 
a little later, um, I moved to Alaska. It was in 94. So I think about 97, 98 is when I got real serious about fishing ice in Alaska. Yeah. And so I brought all my electronics, brought the electronics up there. Only guy I ever saw using it, people would come across the lake to, to see what I was doing really? because I'd be just hosing on fish, hosing fish. And nobody else is catching fish. And then I'm a sucker for kids. I always want kids to be addicted to fishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I call it job security. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just love it. It's, uh, but so I just let them come into my trap, my fish trap, let them look at my cameras, show them what I'm doing. Just show, I'll show anybody. I'll help anybody anytime, you know. And uh, it, it's just amazing because then all of a sudden, a few years later, you start seeing more of that happening. And then the store starts selling a little more of it, a little more of it, a little more of it. The problem we have in Alaska is a lot of these lakes have a flow in and out of them. So you end up with a lot of overflow on top of the ice oh. at times. Oh, really? So it's not like the mid, not the Midwest where you go to a boat ramp and there's a road plowed out to the the little ice villages, they call them. Mm-hmm. And you can drive around a lake on a plowed road. That doesn't happen because there's just way too much overflow on most of these lakes at at any given time. Not all the time. Right. So mostly, most of the time you're not driving vehicles on the ice in Alaska where I am. Because I'm on the Kenai Peninsula. You go farther north and, and that changes. Uh-huh. And so you're going out with a four-wheeler or a snow machine, and you're pulling everything out in a sled, and uh, and it slows you down a little bit. It's nice to be able to drive out there to pick up or have a big wheelhouse behind you and use that as a as a hub, you know, as your base of operation. Right. And uh, if you want to get kids hooked on fishing, you you get a camera out there. You know, it's and it's different too in the fact that we can't use live bait in Alaska. We have to we can use bait, but it can't be live bait. And that makes it a little harder. To me, that makes it a little harder. So you have to work harder to catch these fish oh, yeah. in Alaska. And I'm primarily fishing rainbow trout, Dolly Varden char, and lake trout. And some lakes have a lot of really good pike fishing as well. Mm-hmm. But your better pike lakes are farther north than me. Yep. And uh, so I do a lot. Of, we get a lot of big, big rainbows and a lot of really nice lake trout and char through the ice. Uh-huh. And so, but you have to be more active. You know, when you put a tip up out, you can have like a piece of shrimp on it or some eggs or some dead bait, some cut bait. Right. Um, but movement is what attracts fish to you most of the time when you're, when you're jigging stuff. So I, I, I kind of had to revamp how I fished. It took me a little bit to learn the patterns of the trout as opposed to everything I grew up fishing. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to adjust to the fact that I can't use live bait. I love live bait when I ice fish. I've right. got a lot of friends that don't like live bait. I love live bait. So when I'm in Alaska, I don't get to use live bait. Right. So I, I end up using a lot of shrimp, some eggs, herring, sardine, you name it. I try everything. Uh-huh. And um, and then I do a lot, a lot of stuff with plastics, ice fishing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I like my tube jigs a lot, ice fishing. Mm-hmm. And I and I like I do like I like iron too. I like my jig and spoons as well. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is in Alaska, if you want to catch fish, you got to keep your stuff moving. You know, you can have a dead, the dead stick or the tip up next to you. Right. And that's when I say dead stick, I mean, I'll put a piece of meat, whatever it may be. So say a piece of shrimp mm-hmm. under a slip bobber next to me. And I'll be jigging like crazy with my tube jig or my jigging spoon. Right. 
And sometimes the fish will come up to that, and if they're not really active, they, they look at what I'm jigging, and then they slide over to the dead stick, the dead bait, and hit that. Mm-hmm. Other times they're just attacking what's moving. Right. You know, most of your lake trout and char are extremely aggressive fish. So it's, you know, they're one of the, like Northern Pike, Lakers, they'll, they'll gain weight in the wintertime where a lot of fish won't mm-hmm. um, because oh. they're aggressive and they feed. Yeah. And they're addicted. They have, you know, a great, great uh, ability to smell from a long way away and they, they catch that movement. Uh-huh. So I like, another thing I like to do is I catch white fish in the summertime and I flay them into strips. And even though the white fish are tasty to eat, Right. The Lakers and the Rainbows love them. So oh. I strip them up, and then I tip my jigs with oh, whitefish I caught in the summertime. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay, so so suspend a little piece of meat off the, 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 the hook on the jig and, and uh, uh, get them with the, with the jigging action or the action on the jig and entice them with the smell of the, of the meat, huh? Absolutely. That sits will go a long ways. When I ice fish too, I like to chum a lot. I chum the water. There's no no law saying you can't feed fish, so right. I I put a lot of I put a lot of chum on the bottom, uh-huh. and and then that that helps as well. And if I know I'm going to fish an area for a few days, and I like to get a lot of chum down there because it'll kind of keep the fish coming in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like deep sea fishing. When you go out and fish the the, the halibut, you want to fish the chum bag because that's where the halibut are going to go. Yeah, you do. Same thing with this. I'll. I, I fish the, the chum line. That's what I call it. I, I'll put up a, I'll put up some some stink. I'll buy a bunch of herring. I'll save some eggs from the summer. Yeah. And I'll, I'll drop them down that hole. And then I got the camera. I set my cameras up so that I'm looking across my line of holes so we can see every one of our our lures down there, whatever we're fishing. Uh huh. And then you watch the fish come in and hit your stuff. You watch them feed. Oh. So. And with the camera, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of stuff. You don't realize how many fish bite your lure that you never even knew bit. Or when you see your bobber move, you didn't yeah. see it move when they bit it. You saw it move when they let something go, right. you know, when they took their lips off it. And you don't know any of this until you have a camera. You will learn more about how fish are responding to what you're doing or if fish are even there because you have that camera. I'm telling you, you got to have an aqua view when you're fishing because yeah. – I drill a hole. I'll drill like four, four lines, you know, four holes in a line. And on the end hole, I'll put my camera. So uh-huh. it's looking down the line. You're going to see all three of your other lines down there. Right. And uh, you'll watch the fish come in. He'll look at the thing you have tipped with a piece of herring and he'll swim over to the shrimp and hit it. Well, after three fish do that, guess what every one of my rods has on? Shrimp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but. And I even use like the Berkeley Gulp and the Berkeley Power Baits and stuff too. But I still like. I like I like meat on my hooks. Right. Now, now, how far out are you spacing each one of those lines when you say you have them in a line? Well, when when you're using the camera, I like them, you know, reasonably close, so you can see all your your flies very well. Right. But I mean, now you get, now you're getting these cameras that have split screen where they go four directions, so you can see everything four directions, oh. so you don't have to be that oh, close. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible, and. uh but so I usually will have, you can, when you're ice fishing, you don't have to have the line super far apart. You know, I'll have them like a foot apart. Boom, boom, boom. When I'm doing that out of a portable shack. Okay. You know, now in Alaska, you know, I have my trap, but when I'm guiding, I use a lot of hubs. Yeah. Because I can just shovel out a spot, put the hub up, put a nice comfy chair in there. 
Uh-huh. And I'm usually doing bigger groups. So you can have like everybody in a big, big hub where traps are usually a two man, oh, a yeah. two person deal. Yeah. So, and you have to be portable, you know, in, in Alaska. So I'll, I usually set up somewhere. And, and if I'm going to be doing a bunch of trips, then I start kind of chumming areas a little bit, get things chummed up. And I don't chum all the time, but I do like to have meat on the bottom. There's that scent that brings in fish, even if it's just a little bit. You know, it's not like I'm putting 20 pounds of bait on the bottom just to, I'm just putting enough down there to get scent flowing with, you know, the, the natural currents of yep. the of the lakes. And that hopefully brings fish into me. Now, so, what, what, yeah, what, then what time I, of the year are you, are you guiding? You know, I used to start right around the holidays and go through March or April. Now I usually start a little later, February or March. And then go through, you know, about mid-April, depending on the ice conditions. The thing it. is, I also guide open water. March and April, I do a lot of drift boat trips down the river as well. So I'm kind of bouncing back and forth in March uh-huh. as far as ice and fresh water. It's probably about an equal split. Got it. Got it. And um, so you're going to be running trips in 2021? Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. I'll be, yeah. I'll be running trips now. This year, I'm going to be in Florida a little longer than normal. Uh-huh. I have a, a two-year-old daughter now, and she prefers beaches over snow, so that. can't say no to my baby girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but but I, I just, you know, I, I've, got to, I've got to get a little ice time, that's for sure. It's, it's, it's ingrained in me. You know, it's in my roots. Yeah. So. yeah. Now, do people contact you directly? To, to set up these trips? Oh, yeah. Well, my website's jasonsguideservice.com. Okay. And so most people find me on the web or repeat or referral. Uh-huh. But if you go to jasonsguideservice.com, you can get a hold of me that way by shooting me an email or getting my uh-huh. number and calling me. Uh-huh. And uh, the, web, the website's the easiest way to do that. Yeah. I'm on, you know, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. But um, it seems like anybody new will find my website, that, which I said is jasonsguideservice.com. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go from the website, then they then they reference you by your social media, it seems like, these days. So I, I just try to get everybody to go to the website. Yeah, there you go. And, and are these catch and release trips uh, that you're doing on the ice? You know, when I'm on the ice, most of the time, if you want to keep your fish, you can. When we fish... The lake trout are always catch and keep if you want them on any body of water. But as far as rainbow trout and dolly bar and cargo, yeah. when we fish the lakes where they stock these fish, you know, from hatchet or hatchery fish, right. then you can keep up to five if you want. Oh. When we fish the wild fish, like, say, Kenai Lake or Skelac Lake, or we're fishing, because there's not a lot of places in the world that have wild rainbow trout anymore. That's true. Um, we don't keep those fish. We oh. let them go. It's a trophy fishery. Right. We will keep the lake trout if you want them, uh-huh. but the rainbows and the dollies we let go, unless we're fishing the hatchery fish, the stock lakes, and then we have some amazingly awesome fishing on some of these lakes, okay. and you can keep I think five, but only one can be over twenty inches. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's... yeah. So, and we we get some pretty darn big rainbows ice fishing. You know, twenty eight, twenty nine inch fish. I, you know, it's you you've hooked bigger ones, and it's just hard to get. Mm-hmm. When you got a lot of ice, it's hard to get a big, big fish up through that hole if you're not used to doing it, you know. So sometimes you got to lose one or two to learn how to do it right, and, and you don't always get more than one or two opportunities at a thirty-plus inch trout when you're fishing. So that's true. That's true. 
Yeah, I haven't done a whole lot of ice fishing. I've done a little bit of it in the Cascades in Oregon. And uh, the, the biggest rainbow, I'm a big trout fisherman. I love to fish trout. And the biggest rainbow I've ever got in uh, was ice fishing on Diamond Lake. That thing was a pig. But just like you were saying, the hole wasn't big enough. I couldn't bring the fish through the hole until we, you know, we opened that up a little bit and then uh, got it through. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, be able to get it up. And, and uh, that was so much fun, man. Never forget that fish. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? When you're, that's, you fight the fish forever. Yep. It seems like forever. Mm-hmm. And then you get them to the hole and it's like it starts all over again. Yep. Yeah, it's like, it's like that battle. It's like, oh, I just got his head in the hole. And then they do this thing where they do like, I call it the reverse gravity, where they just go, boom, yep. you know, like, and they just get heavy. Just whoop, your drag goes and they back out and oh, it, yeah. it start all over. And it's like, yeah. and it, you know, and then that's when you want good, sharp blades on your auger, because uh-huh. then you don't have a rough, a rough hole to nick your, to nick your lineup, you know, oh, and, and then you can, yeah, and you can get that rod tip in the hole, boom, down it and then. Right. You know, you're trying to save the line. I, I use braid. I like the Power Pro braid, uh-huh. and I usually use these sp- Spro swivels or an FG knot, and I go to fluorocarbon. And depending on how long a leader, if I have a long leader, I use the FG knot, and uh-huh. you can use a uni knot or a blood knot as well. But I like that FG knot. Right. And if it's a short leader, then I just use a barrel swivel. And, I, and if I'm jigging stuff that twists your line up, then I use the barrel swivels as well. So and, and and even occasionally, you know, when I, I'll go from Power Pro braid, and I and I'm a hundred percent into fluorocarbon. And as far as I'm concerned, and, and these guys don't pay me to tell you this, but Sunline is a Japanese manufacturer of fluorocarbon, and they make something called FC Sniper. It is hands down the best fluorocarbon made for any application on freshwater. Period. Really. And uh, it's the thinnest diameter, strongest line ever. So when I'm fishing panfish and trout, I'll use like a three pound fluorocarbon and uh-huh. I can use heavier too, you know, three to six, three to eight. But then when I'm fishing the toothy fish, I don't use steel leaders and I'll, I'll get cut off once in a while, but I, this fluorocarbon is so amazing. I use 20 to 30 pound sniper fluorocarbon, on these toothy critters too, and no steel leader. And you get way more fish and you, you'll get cut off once in a while, but you catch so many more fish not using a steel leader. It doesn't matter if you lose one or two. And okay. uh, yeah. okay. I Always use fluorocarbon, no matter what you're fishing out there. Uh-huh. And if you're going to use fluorocarbon, spend a little bit more money and buy the Sunlines FC Sniper. You will not regret it on anything. When you're fishing trout down there yeah. or you're fishing ice lakes, whatever you're doing, use that fluorocarbon. You won't regret it. That's if I could say one big tip on anything. If your line's tip. invisible, you're going to catch more fish. So true. So true. You know, I, I used to, that Seaguar is awesome too. To me, the best two are Seaguar or Seaguar, however you want to pronounce that, and the Sniper by Sunline. They're the best two, and I like Sunline's, you know, the FC Sniper the best, hands down. Right. So the, but, the yeah, so the Kenai is, is pretty crowded at, at times through the spring and summer and that sort of thing. Are, are, do you get as big a crowds, you know, uh, during the winter to ice fish up there? No, not at all. You know, I get a lot of your locals. I get the locals that they want when their family comes back for the holidays or they just want to get out and do something different. Uh-huh. They call me. And then you get a, there's an amazing amount of people that come to Alaska in the wintertime that want to see sled dogs. 
They want to see Northern Lights, and they want to stand on the ice and fish. Yeah. So I get a lot of those people. And there's so many times I'm the only guy on the ice at all. I'll have an entire lake to myself. It's wow. incredible. You're you're out there, and these bald eagles are landing next to you because they want to eat. You know, like I don't leave anything on the ice for critters to get. I don't want to, you know, make a habitu- habitual, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to. I don't, know, I don't want to habituate the animals into thinking they get a free meal. You know, they're wild animals, and uh, they should stay wild. But some people will leave, you know, bait on the ice or this or that. So then we end up with the coyotes coming out on the ice and the eagles and stuff. You'll be fishing, and the eagles. 20 feet away from you on the ice or you're, you come out of your ice house and there's a coyote sitting on looking at you. I mean, it's just amazing. And there's nobody out there but you. It's like, no kidding. it's incredible. Yeah. It's still ice fishing has not taken off in Alaska. Yeah. Like you would think it would. Um, and I think a lot of that's just the conditions of the lake. And the, it's not like the, mid, the Midwest by any means. It's not even a fraction, one, one hundred to the Midwest as far as people utilizing the ice. Right. So it's, it's almost like a, Sometimes I almost feel guilty. Like I'm like, how can how can nobody be out here and I'm catching all these fish? I feel like I need to tell more people about it. But then I'm like, you know what? Hey, I got this all to myself. Why would I say anything? You know, that's true. it's just incredible. That's true. And there are people. I mean, there are times too. I'll go out there and there'll be a few groups of people out there. You know, but as a whole, it's pretty lonely out there in most spots. You know, there's a few spots that people do congregate, um, and I just don't go to those spots. And when I say a few, I mean literally a few. I'd rather fish by myself than fish next to two other shacks if I can help it. Yeah. You know, and the thing about people is, is if they see a shack out there, they assume somebody knows what they're doing and they kind of come to you as as well. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. That's that's how that is. That's true. So, but in Alaska, you know, in Minnesota, say, prime example is, my brother last year went out with his buddies into one of our old school spots for crappies that we used to fish when we grew up. Nobody's out there, not one ice house. They're out there for three or four days. Next thing you know, there's 30 ice houses around them. 30. It, it took two days. Good Lord. Really? Really? Now, when you, yeah. When you talk about a shack uh, there in Alaska, you know, the the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind and mine is the old is the show Grumpy Old Men, and they had the football game on the big screen and the pot-bellied stove and that sort of thing. Is that the environment up there? No, not not where I'm at. Where I'm at, I'm all it's all portable. Everybody's on portables because we don't have the roads to get out there. So I run I run the yeah. the portable shacks. When it's cold, I run insulated. When it's not cold, I don't run the insulated ones because they're heavier, uh-huh. but they're really nice to have. Then I use the Mr. Buddy heaters, and then I get folding chairs, you know, the, the nice ones. So we bring our chairs out. We get in these shacks. We get the heater on. We got our holes, and then I hook up the camera, and I usually have it on some stand or even a bucket. So we're all in our chairs looking at the TV, watching our lines underwater. That's my environment right there. Uh-huh. And then... And then if the fish are suspended, the cameras, the one thing about the camera is they work better when you can actually see the bottom. So when you're fishing suspended fish like crappies or even trout will do this as well, where they suspend, your camera's not the best tool your your hummingbird or your vexilar is. Right. And the then you're going to mark the fish. So you'll, you'll have your big, you know, your bottom and saying, okay, we're in 22 feet of water. 17 foot's a magic number on some of these lakes I fish in Alaska. So we say we're in 17 foot of water. We're on a weed line of good green cabbage, 
that Alaska has mm-hmm. and the fish are suspended. Well, now I'm, I'm using my electronics and I'm finding these fish. I can see my jig on the electronics going up and down. And when the fish comes in, boom, you mark it. They come up to your jig, boom, you got your bite and your bobber goes down. It's like clockwork. So that's my environment when I'm fishing in Alaska. And I would love to have a permanent wheelhouse somewhere, but I'd have to be up north, north of Anchorage for that to work out. And I'm I'm 100 miles south and I'm not going up there to catch fish when I got all the fish I want in my backyard. Right, right. Gosh, that sounds like so much fun, man. uh, I imagine that you have uh, people knocking down your door sometimes. Oh, yeah. And what I like to do is I like to get involved at the school. Cooper Landing has a small school. You know, K through 12, there's like 17 kids. We'll yeah. go out and do an ice day out there and uh, and get the get the kids out on the ice. And then I like to get, I do a, every year I get, I call it my Cooper, Cooper Landing Friends and Family Day, where we all go out and we set up, you know, a huge spread of tip-ups and ice shacks. Yeah. And then we get a mega fire going on the ice and we barbecue out on the ice. We eat the fish we catch grill up moose steaks, grill up moose browers, and and do that. It's so fun. You know, it's like, um, and once again, it's about getting kids out there. Yeah. And so, we, you know, there's a lot of, commu- in Alaska, it's neat because you have a lot of community stuff. And, um, you know, your community harvests, community subsistence, community whatever. And, and we incorporate that into ice fishing as well. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Right. Well, and, and if people are, are that are listening don't know exactly where Kenai is, uh, the beautiful thing is you can fly into the international airport right there in Anchorage, and then you've got one of the most beautiful drives you've ever taken in your life uh, down to where you're at. And the, in Alaska, in the summertime, if you're coming up and fishing with you, there there's problems with a, a lot of fog and weather in southeast Alaska. A lot of times you'll get stuck in an airport for an hour or two or a day before you can get out and uh, get out to where you're going to fish. But in your part of the world, uh, you can pretty you can keep a pretty tight schedule, can't you? Oh, absolutely. You're 100 miles. I mean, it's it's an hour and 40 minutes when there's no traffic. You uh-huh. know, and we'll just say there's traffic. And like you, you hit it on the head, dude. I don't. I can't think of a more beautiful drive than going from Anchorage to Cooper Landing. It's incredible. You got the Turnigan Arm. They got the biggest. Uh, riptide or boar tide in the world right there. I mean, it, you're, sometimes you're watching beluga whales as you're driving, you know, down the highway. It's incredible. Yeah. But all the mountain scenery, it's just amazingly beautiful. And the nice thing about the winters, there's no traffic. Right. In summertime, you got all the RVs and everything, and it can be a little busy, where it's, in the winter, there's nobody. Yeah. It's it's like a, it's, it's almost like a ghost town. So, it's amazing. And then it's the thing, the new thing about the winter is you can see Alaska without seeing the crowds. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then so you get a lot of, a lot, a lot of people that are, they, they do the, the Northern lights, then they want to do some sled dog stuff and then they want to fish. And then what's amazing is a lot of them don't even realize, don't necessarily even want to catch. They just want to say they, they ice fish to run the ice yep. and then they catch their first fish. Or they even there's times when I've been out there where it's a really tough bite, you know the barometer drops on you and, and there would be like the highs, not the lows. The fish get the lockjaw. Mm-hmm. But you have this camera down there, and people are watching these fish, and it's so cool. It's like they think it's the coolest thing ever. 
and they, they don't even have to catch one just because they get to watch them. Right. And it's right. like they come up, and you get to see them just sniff, sniff back off. Watch a fish swim backwards. It's fun. <laughs> that sounds like that. Quick. That Quick. sounds like the trick to that is to get that camera down there so you can you can watch all of the fish that are not hitting your line. And uh, like you were saying, it's probably as much fun as catching them sometimes. Oh yeah, especially for the kids. But I mean, and then you'll see, and you'll start recognizing the same fish. You'll be like, that one had a little spot on his head, or this one had a little, you know, whatever. And you watch that fish come in for two hours and not bite, and then all of a sudden, in 20 minutes, every fish you looked at that wouldn't bite goes ballistic, and, you, and they start biting like crazy. Right. And you're trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, now I got to look at the barometric pressure. Did the barometric pressure change? Did the temperatures change? What changed to make these fish hungry? Right. You know, and, and that's the stuff that just makes my mind spin. Like, what happened there? We got to figure this out. I, I got to know this for next time. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, it's intriguing. It is so fun to be able to see the fish. Wow. And uh, it really helps you learn how to present things better to fish as well. Yep. Yep. So true. Gosh, you have a real passion for this, man. It sounds like you'd be a, oh, I, a lot of fun to fish with. Oh, I love it. My thing, I always just say this, you do not book a guided fishing trip. You don't go fishing because you want to have a bad time. You go fishing because you want to have fun. It's that simple. So go have fun fishing and, and make it fun. No matter what's happening, have fun out there. And it's real easy to do when you have all the right gear. You know, ice fishing too. The one thing I haven't even touched on is you need warm clothes too. You know, even unless you're in a totally heated ice house, Right. But what what I do with the portable stuff, you have to set everything up before you can get really warm. And the act of setting things up gets you warm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've got to, usually i got to shovel out a spot, set up a tent, get everything set up, you know, drill the holes. You do all that stuff, and then you get the heater going, you know. Right. <laughs> so it's it's nice to have good clothes, good footwear as well. If you're going to, you know, be a, to turn into a fishing addict, you just start buying all this stuff. But That's true. Um, so... To me, good gear makes makes everything better. Oh gosh, it's miserable to be cold. You know, I, I don't like that at all. But uh, with the heaters and that sort of thing, I would imagine you even have heaters in your boats, um, or, or your willy uh, drift boat. That. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I use I do the same thing. I bring my Mister Buddy heaters in my drift boat uh -huh. too, because you know most of the year you don't need them. And then once September, October rolls around, there's a lot of days you need them. And uh, your feet, my feet, don't like the neoprene booties, so that my toes get chilly. So I put a, I put a Mr. Buddy heater right where my feet are. Perfect. And so the people closest to me can use that one. And then I put one on the, on the bow of the boat as well uh -huh. for the guys at the front of the boat. And then you can, you know, take a few casts, run a drift. We do a lot of nymph fishing on the Kenai, so you're indicator fishing. You're running these dead drifts. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, so I, I, I like my long fly rods. I, I use uh, I actually use an inline float as opposed to a, an indicator, just because right. it's, it's way, way more. Uh, it's much better for the application of these side drifts we're getting. We're getting like a 40, 45 degree drift, so to yeah. speak, and uh, so it makes for a perfect. You can totally understand where your leader is for a beginner. It's just a great tool. So you got that rolling. You got one hand on the rod and one hand over the heater. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then you trade off. Yep, exactly. And then when you book a full day of fishing, you fish the full day, and you're not going to want to quit after four or five hours because you're freezing. Yep, yep, exactly. So, 
Well, Jason, hey, I got I got a question for you. And um, I ask it of pretty much all my guests. So if you woke up tomorrow morning and some little bird came in the middle of the night and said, Jason, today's your last fishing trip. What would you fish for and who would you fish with? I would go... My dream fish that I've not had the opportunity to, I did it, I shouldn't say had that. Last year I had about a 45-minute opportunity, didn't catch one, I saw a bunch. But my dream fish is a tarpon on a fly rod. I still haven't done that. Yeah. And always, seven days a week, if you say, who do you want to fish with? I want to fish with my dad and brother, no matter what. They're the best. That's it. So um, I'm taking a tarpon on a fly rod, and I'm fishing with my family. I want my dad and my brother there. And my dad won't touch a fly rod for money. And my brother, he'll do anything. So, <laughs> Sounds like you have a, a, a great family, man, and very, very close. That's awesome. Oh, I have the best family a person could ask for. Yeah, we are close. I'm very, very lucky. You're a very blessed man. Well, Jason, hey, man, I want to thank you so much. I'd love to have you come back for another episode, uh, maybe a little later on next year, and we can talk about the uh, – uh, the, the fishing that's going on in the Kenai and, and maybe uh, give us a, a fishing forecast if you're up for that. Oh, absolutely. This, this is fun, man. I, you know, anytime I can talk fishing with somebody that knows how to fish <laughs> or even doesn't know how to fish, but when you have that same common thread, it's just so fun. It's awesome. Yeah. I love this. this is, uh, I'm uh, so glad you let me do this. Thank you. Well, my pleasure. Uh, so, Jason, again, how do people get a hold of you if they'd like to uh, talk to you about uh, ice fishing or fishing in Alaska in the coming year? Well, I'd say you go to jasonsguideservice.com, uh-huh. or you can call me at 907-351-3036. That's 907-351-3036, or go to jasonsguideservice.com. Perfect. Jason, thank you so much. What a great conversation that we had today. I uh, wish you and your family the best and keep well and safe during these crazy times. And we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you in the months ahead. Well, thank you, Ted. This was awesome. And I can't wait till we get to do this again. I agree.